All right. If you have your scripture, this copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 8 this morning? Matthew chapter 8. And uh, I want us to look today at, uh, I think, really an important moment in the ministry of Christ as he identified himself as the Messiah without actually having to say it. Uh, he proved it. He demonstrated it uh, through the things he was able to not only teach, but do. And so uh, I want us to, to think on that today because part of our job as Christians is being on mission for the Lord. Now we have this team that's going to go out and be on mission this week in Mexico, but truly all of you will be on mission here in Fairview and Cachada and Campion around the area. And uh, being on mission simply means this, that we're attuned to the Lord, we're listening to the Lord's Spirit as He speaks to our heart during the day. That as God shows us a situation where we can be His ambassador, that we do that. That we're able to speak words for Him. We're able to do things to bring Him glory, whether it's a good works or whether it's uh, things that are pleasing to Him, whether we're encouraging someone or helping someone who's ill or, or whatever. So this morning, as we read through this passage of Matthew, that's what we're going to look at, how Jesus was the man on a mission. And He wasn't just a man, y'all. He was the man, all right? Yeah, years ago, there was a pro wrestler. No, wait, a pro wrestler. There's a difference in wrestlers and wrestlers. Y'all know what I'm talking about? See, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and there was a pro wrestler, and he, this was his slogan. He said, to be the man, you got to be the man. And there ain't nobody done it yet, because I'm the best that's going today. Woo! Y'all know who did that? It's sad that y'all know that. Ric Flair, that's right. <laughs> it, would always, it would always tickle me that old Ric Flair would do that. But listen to what he's saying. He said, to be the man, in other words, to be the most important or the biggest and baddest, he says, you've got to beat the man. In other words, he was saying, I'm the man. So it's kind of a pride. We didn't know what kind of nothing. He was prideful. And he was real, he boasted and bragged all the time about himself. But, uh, you know, that's the thing that I want to talk about this morning. It's one thing to try to brag and boast in your flesh, but it's another thing to demonstrate that you truly are the man. And Jesus demonstrated it, that He is the Son of God, that He is the man among men, that, that He is the only one who could come and, and make it possible for us to know the Lord. And so how, how do we know that's true? Well, that's what I want us to see this morning. Jesus was the man on a mission. He was on a mission of mercy from heaven, and he'd come to this world in order to demonstrate God's love to us. Now, I, one of the most amazing things to me is when you look at the book of John. I know we're in Matthew, but just indulge me for a moment. I want to share a thought from the book of John first before we look at this. In John's gospel... John starts his gospel this way. He's talking about Jesus. And this is a statement he makes. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. So he's talking about when Jesus came to earth, right? And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, John is offering a startling truth about Jesus, that God made the world through Christ. Jesus is the creator. That's what he's saying. He made the world and everything in it. Yet the world didn't know Christ when they saw him. When he came to the earth, they didn't realize or recognize or know that it was him. Now, he came to save the world, 
but the world would not receive him as the Savior. And that's what John's kind of getting across in this verse. And the question is, why? Why couldn't they or wouldn't they know him? And the short answer to that is sin. Sin has a way of blinding our eyes to the truth. Whenever we rebel against God, it has a way of changing the way we think, and we're thinking the wrong way. It has a way of changing the way we act then, and we start acting the wrong way, and we start living apart from God. So sin has a detrimental effect to our ability to know God and to know the truth. But here's the question. Why, even if they came to know He was the Christ, why would they not receive Him? And the answer is selfishness. Because when a person's spirit is ruined by sin, when his or her innocence falls dead in the garden of a sinful life, selfishness permeates the person. We become selfish creatures when we become sinful creatures. And so every one of us struggles with our own selfish desires, even today. I mean, I do, you do. The Paul, Apostle Paul writes about this in the book of Romans when he calls it the flesh. He says sometimes the flesh wants to creep up on us. You know, It wants to cause us to drift from God and turn away from God and, and turn back to selfishness. And so we have to always be on guard against that very thing. But every one of us has developed an aversion to authority outside of ourselves. When God enters into our equation, though, we're confronted. We're confronted with the fact that He is God and He is the ultimate authority. And so we're at a place where each of us have to decide, am I willing to let God be God and, and, and there be no other in my life and let Him lead me and guide me, or am I still going to try to do things my way? See, that, that selfishness just wants to keep rearing its ugly head in my life. I want to do things my way and get my way and have my way. And so the writer of Hebrews helps us to think through the challenge to our faith. In Hebrews eleven six, he talks about how faith is the answer, faith in God... Faith in Christ, that's the answer to helping us deal with this, the selfish sin problem that we, 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 we struggle with. He says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that, look at this, that he is. Circle that in your mind right there. Believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does that mean? That he is. We have to believe that He is. The writer of Hebrews, I think, is saying what uh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, in a few minutes is going to say without even knowing it, that Jesus is the man. We have to believe that He is, that He's the I Am who spoke to, Ab who spoke to Moses, that He's the only true God who spoke to Abraham, that He's that same God who later spoke to Joshua and to David. And to all Elijah and Elijah, all these in the Old Testament. And, 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 and then he ultimately came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus stepped into the world, that's when we're able to diligently seek him. Look at that again. We must believe that he is. In other words, believe that there's only one God. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How in the world are you going to seek after God if you're bound in sin? Well, the answer is you're not. Until he comes after you. See, once God came and revealed himself to us as Jesus, then that's his grace being poured out. And now we can respond to that grace in faith. Remember what Paul said? For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And not that of yourselves, but it's a gift of God. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, God gave you a gift. 
He sent His Son, Jesus, to come to this earth to show that there is a God, and that's God in flesh. Jesus is God in flesh. He's the man. And He's on a mission from heaven. And the mission from heaven is to show you that God loves you and has a plan for your life and wants you to come and serve and live in His care. And so, boy, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to think about. And what's the most fascinating things in the Bible to me is one day when the Pontius Pilate, the governor of Rome, the Roman governor, rather, in, in Jerusalem, made an interesting statement about Jesus. When you looked at John chapter 18 and started around verse 33, let me just tell you, this is how the story goes. Here's what happened. The Jews brought Jesus to Pilate. And they were wanting Pilate to condemn him and have him crucified because the Jews were selfish. Hmm, sound familiar? <laughs> they were selfish because of their sin. And they didn't want an authority. They didn't want Jesus to come and claim to be king of the Jews. And so they said, he's claiming to be a king and he's setting himself up against Caesar. We want you to kill him, Pilate. And Pilate said, hold on, guys, hold on. And so Pilate called Jesus to himself and he said, Jesus, come talk to me. He had Jesus stand before him and he asked him, he said, I want to ask you, are you in fact the king of the Jews? Remember how Jesus responded? He said, did the Jews put you up to this or do you really want to know that yourself? He said, am I one of the Jews? I don't care what they think. He said, oh, then I am, as you say I am, a king. If you're saying I'm a king, I'm a king. And my kingdom is not of this world. As a matter of fact, he said, my kingdom's not earthbound, it's heavenborn. And my kingdom is coming here. And when Pilate heard that, he didn't want to hear any more. Jesus said, I have come to bear witness to the truth, testify to the truth. And Pilate looked at him and said, what is truth? What was he asking? What is truth? He didn't want to know the truth. He was saying, I don't believe in truth. There's a lot of people today who will tell you the same thing. There's no absolute truth. We don't have to believe a certain way about God. We can believe anything we want. Folks, that's not true. There's only one God. He's revealed himself as Jesus. Jesus is the man. He's the God-man. He's God in flesh. And if we can't put our faith and trust in what God has done for us, then we can't be saved. And that, it, it sounds so simple, but it's so difficult for some to grasp. Why? Because we get selfish. Because we don't want an authority over us. And we want to be in charge of our own life. And so that was the problem that what Jesus was dealing with when he came. People were not listening. Some of them because they didn't want to listen. Because they didn't want the truth that could set them free. So look at chapter 8 of Matthew. Because here's Jesus, the man, on a mission. And in this passage we'll look at, just for the next few minutes, I just want to quickly walk through four little miracles he performs. Now, y'all, there ain't nothing little about a miracle, by the way. <laughs> I use that term lightly. But, uh, but he, he performs three seemingly small events. And in doing those small things, he's demonstrating something big about himself. That he really is who he says he is. He is, in fact, the teacher who's come down from heaven. He is the rabbi the disciples were looking for. He is God's son. He is the Messiah. And he proves it in the authority that he exercises, not only over demonic spirits, but even over diseases and things like that. This is a really an amazing series of, of little miracles he performs, all in seemingly in one day. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 8. It says, When he had come down from the mountain... Now, what's he been doing on a mountain? He's been preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. So right after he finishes this world-famous greatest sermon ever preached, 
He's coming down off the mountain, and great multitudes are following him. Verse 2 says, Behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, in this first miracle Jesus performs, he is showing, and, and, and Matthew's pointing this out, that there's a multitude of people who were fascinated with Christ, but what he wants them to understand was that it, he wasn't just a, a flowery preacher, but in fact, he was much more than that. And so he, the first thing he did was show them that his focus was to bring about healing in people's hearts. He wanted to demonstrate God's love to the world. And how could he do that? By showing them that God cares about every single person. And so Christ had his mind focused on loving others despite social stigmas. You know, in, in their world, it's not much different from our world. There were certain people who were kind of called hopeless, you know. And a leper was seen, seen as a hopeless case. It was an incurable skin disease, leprosy was at that time. And they didn't know what to do with it. There wasn't much they could do with it. They prayed for the people about all he could do for them. They didn't know how to handle it. And so here's a man who's become an outcast in the society. There's a, a stigma placed on his life. He, to touch him was taboo. You did not do that. You didn't never touch a leper. You didn't go near a leper. As a matter of fact, there were laws in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, all about how lepers needed to kind of steer clear of everybody else so they didn't catch the, the skin disease that they had. And so nobody wanted to go near a leper, but Jesus did. When the leper came to him and in great faith said, Lord, I know you can cleanse me. I know you can do it. I believe it with all my heart. I see it. I know you can do it. He says, but it's only if you're willing. What was he saying? You've got all the power. You've got all the authority of heaven at your beck and call. Jesus, you're God in flesh. He recognized it, see? Without saying it, he was letting him know, I know who you are. I believe who you are. I believe that he is. That's what he was saying. That he is. And he was coming to him, seeking, diligently seeking the Lord. And so Jesus rewarded him. Just like he says in Hebrews. He rewarded him. And he says, be cleansed. And he touched him. He did something that no one else would do. He reached out and touched him. And instantly he healed him. A powerful act in that moment that radically changed this guy's life. And it makes us realize that you know, there's people just like this leper all around us. We've got our own lepers in our culture today. We've got people who everybody else has kind of written them off and said, oh, they're hopeless case. There's nothing we can do for them. We might pray for them, a little flippant prayer here and there. If there ain't nothing we can do. But I'm telling you, there's people out there who are never beyond what Christ can do. He can redeem. He really can restore and redeem. I've seen these things. You've seen, to be honest, you've seen people who you thought, oh, that guy will never straighten out. And you prayed for them and you prayed for them. But more importantly, you loved them. And Christ got a hold of that person and changed their life. And, and there's people who need that. Despite the stigmas and the taboo, they need someone to reach into their life and, and, and to touch them and love them and encourage them and help them as they're struggling along the way. So how often we find that the Lord is calling us to love our neighbor as ourself, but the problem is we're not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength first. And so the challenge for us is to realize that God loves us <laughs> enough that we need to love Him with all of our life. 
So then we can love our neighbor as ourselves, and we can be focused on sharing God's love with that person. And so the, the first obstacle I think that we face is to realize that people are more important than our pride. They really are. People need love, and they need the Lord to do the work of spiritual healing. I, I, can, I can love people, and I can encourage people, and I can try to, to do everything I can to help them, but listen on, the Lord can change them. So it's not my job to see that someone is saved, but it is my job to see that everything happens to get them to that place where God would do a saving work in them. It's my job to, to be there to encourage them and strengthen them and help them and bring uh, healing in their hearts. And so we must keep this in mind every day as we go through life. And Look at verse 5 now, because now there's a second situation that arises. And as Jesus is headed into Capernaum, and Capernaum was his home base for the first part of his ministry, the first time of his ministry, he lived in Capernaum, a little city on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. As he's going in there, he runs across a centurion. Now, that's not too strange because the Romans ruled the roost. I mean, they governed the land, and every city and town probably had a, a, a troop of Roman soldiers who was nearby, if not in it. But yet there's this one centurion who lives in Capernaum who was very special to the people of the city. In Luke's gospel, he records how this man, this centurion, had actually supported the building of the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue in Capernaum. He'd given money for it. He was helping the people build a place where they could worship. And man, they just thought this guy's the best thing since sliced bread. Man, they thought he was the man. <laughs> but they didn't know that Jesus was the man, right? So Christ comes into Capernaum, and he's going to do an amazing work with this man. And the centurion comes, and he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But look at this. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man, look at this, under authority. I'm under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here's a fellow who knows what the chain of command looks like. He's a, a centurion. A centurion means he had a hundred soldiers under him. And he knew what it was not only to lead other men, but be led by someone. He had, a, he had a commander above him. So here's a man who can understand that what he sees and hears about Jesus is simply that Christ is the man on the mission. That Christ if he can perform these miracles, must be the God who created all things. Only God could interrupt creation and interrupt nature and turn things that were not to be as they were. Only God could do things that this man, Jesus, is doing. And so he comes to him and he says, Would you do this for my servant? But you don't even have to come to my house. All you got to do is say the word and it'll happen. I know it. I believe that. And look what Jesus said in verse 10. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. He said, I, you, you Jews ought to be thinking like this. This old boy, here's a Gentile, and he's figured it out. He's figured it out. Notice what he said in verse 11. I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, Jesus was simply saying this. Some of you Jews don't believe that I am He. You don't believe that I am the one who is. You don't believe that I'm God in flesh. He said, but this guy figured it out, and he's a Gentile. 
I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. But even one of the dogs is getting scraps from under the table. That's what he's saying here in essence. This man is demonstrating faith like I've never seen because he understands authority and he's willing to yield himself to authority. Isn't that the key? Everyone can be saved, but not everyone will be saved. Why? Because some people simply are not willing to yield themselves to God. The greatest challenge for any and every man, woman, boy, or girl in this world is to come to the place where you recognize that He is and that you're ready to come and seek Him and yield yourself to Him and give yourself to Him. And when you do that, He will reward you, but not until. And so to know Christ is to submit to His authority in life. He he won't be Savior until He's your Lord. That's just the fact. And so Jesus wanted the crowd and us to understand that salvation means submission. And submission is tied with salvation. Until we come under his kingship, we have no place in his kingdom. Did you see that, what he told them? He said, this man's going to be like those who sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But some of you who ought to be in the kingdom are going to be booted out because you will not submit yourself to the Lord. All right, notice verses 14 and 15 then, because then there's a third miracle that Jesus performs. He's already demonstrated that his mind was focused on loving people, and he's already shown that his spirit was centered on leading them to salvation. But here's the third miracle he performs where he's going to show that he had a heart that was filled with compassion to serve others in their sickness. He had a heart that was filled with compassion for people who were hurting. And so when he gets to Peter's house, Simon Peter lived there in Capernaum. And it says, when Jesus had come into his house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. Now, I love Nana. Nana is my mother-in-law. And uh, I can appreciate what it is for Peter to have a good, godly mother-in-law. I have a godly mother-in-law who I love very much. If Nana is ever sick, y'all, we're in trouble. Because Nana cooks better than anybody I've ever had cooked for me in my life. And uh, I'm telling you, we were at Nana's this past week, and she had just made some fig preserves. Y'all ever had fresh fig preserves? Great guns. Oh, my gracious. And they were on the counter, and Jana got into them before I could get to them. And I, we almost had a fight. We nearly did, right there. I almost had a marital discord over fresh fig preserves. But anyway, I'm just saying this. Nana has a soft spot in my heart. So I felt like Peter, you know, probably loved his mother-in-law. He, I, I'm just going to believe Peter had a mother-in-law like I do. And he probably loved her and cared for her. But what's more amazing is that Jesus loved her more. He walked into the house. Nobody had to say a word to him. He saw her lying there with a fever, and the first thing he did, moved out of a heart full of compassion, he went over and touched her. And immediately the fever left. Immediately the fever left in that moment. He had not come to be served. Jesus said, I've come to serve. Nobody had to tell him. He healed her and put her in a position now where she could serve him. You know, isn't that what God does with us? God sees us when we're spiritually sick. God sees us when we're saturated in our soul with sin. God sees us in a broken down condition 
with the fever of the flesh all over our bodies. God sees us in a place where we're not worthy or able to get up and do anything that's meaningful for Him in eternity. But yet God is moved with a heart of compassion and He comes through the Holy Spirit and He begins to touch our bodies and He gives us strength because He wants us to serve Him. Listen, I'm telling you today, the Lord wants to use you. I don't care who you are, where you are, or how you're hurting. The Lord wants you to serve in His kingdom. And He's willing to do what He needs to do to change you and touch you and heal you so that you can be fit for service. So don't think that you've gone too far and you can't be healed from a broken heart. Don't think that God can't remake your mind, that He can't suit you for service. Don't think that God can't take the least of these and make them the greatest of these of the kingdom because He can. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote. You remember Saul? Saul was that one who had threatened and, and, and tormented Christians. He murdered some and drug others into jail. And, and he writes this. Look at this in, second, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Then again in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, he'll say this. To me, who am less than the least of the saints... This grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What's Paul saying? I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be a servant in the household of the king. I don't deserve to be handling the gospel, but praise the Lord, he loved me. Praise the Lord, he had compassion on me in my spiritual sickness. Praise the Lord, he touched me and saved me and gave me a place of service in the kingdom. Folks, that's the way we ought to feel about the, this. We shouldn't see uh, being a part of God's kingdom and serving Him as a drudgery. We should see it as a great privilege. Like Paul says, I'm the least. I don't deserve this, but thank God He gave it to me. And so here's the man on the mission. Jesus, He's got His mind set on loving people to the Lord. He's got His, his spirit centered on leading them to salvation. His heart is filled with compassion for them in their sickness. But there's one last thing. Christ had His will set on using His strength to fulfill God's plan. And I know that today, that's where we need to be. We've got to come to a place where our desire, our will, our determination is that I want to use every bit of strength, every asset I have to serve the Savior. I want God to use me and do something with me. I want to be a man or a woman who's on a mission for the Lord. And I want God to enable me to do something special and eternal for Him in His work. And that ought to be where we are. So look at verse 16 and verse 17. It's interesting. Notice the first four words, or just the first few words of verse 16. When evening had come. Don't, don't, don't look past that. Circle that in your mind. When evening had come. Y'all, do y'all realize all of these things have happened on the same day? That's what he's saying. All this happened in one day. Boy, if Jesus' days were like this, great guns. I wouldn't have lasted a minute. <laughs> so after all this, now the day's not over. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Have you ever been wore out? No, wait a minute. Have you ever been woe out? You know what I'm talking about? Y'all just been, I'm woe out. Got your hands on your knees, you're just tired, you've been in one of those moments. Jesus is probably in one of those moments right there. Just physically tired. 
had had a long day. He'd already preached a full-length message that was recorded as the greatest sermon in the history of humanity. Then he's, he's, he's dealing with a leper. Then he's dealing with a centurion servant and the centurion. Then he's dealing with his mother-in-law, whom he, I think he, you know, Peter's mother-in-law, whom Peter loved, right? And now they're bringing to him those who are demon-possessed. If you've ever been in a place where you would just give out, the only thing you probably wanted to do was go lay down and, and take a nap. You weren't in the mood to deal with more stuff. You've been in one of those moments, one of those places. And if you've ever been that tired, sometimes you can get so tired that you can get physically ill. Now, this happened to me in 2003. I was with Brother Wayne Jenkins on my first mission trip to Brazil. I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. There was about 23 million other people in that city with me. It's one of the largest cities in the world. And uh, so it was a mind-numbing experience for me to see a city like that and see that many people. But at the same time, we'd been working all week, each day, just trying to uh, go door-to-door and witness with people, talk with people. We'd been in city parks. We'd been everywhere. And at night, we would get to a church there in a little village, and we were preaching every night. And Brother Wayne and I took, took turns. He would preach a night, I'd preach a night. He'd preach a night, I'd preach. We'd do that back and forth to try to like relieve each other because, you know, it just you get tired. Well, I remember it was like my third time to preach. And uh, I, I remember I was sick as a dog. I mean, I was so sick. Our translator had been sick, and I got what the translator had, except uh, when you get something down there, it's ten times worse than if they get it. So it was a head cold for him. It was a full, 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 like the full-blown flu on me. And uh, I was achy and sweating and just, boy, I felt horrible. I want to go lay down. And Brother Wayne looked at me and says, you're preaching tonight, right? I said, oh, Lord, Lord, I need, some, I need help. And uh, that was one of the a few moments in life when I really didn't feel like doing it. You ever been there? I mean, I want to do it. I want to do what I know I need to do, but I don't feel like doing it. And, and all I knew to do was ju- I just started praying. I said, Lord, I am so, I, I don't feel, I feel terrible. I, Lord, I cannot do this. And it's in that moment when the Lord like whispered in my ear and said, exactly. You cannot do this. It's got to be me or it's not going to be worth doing it all. And so it worked. Paul's words came to my mind, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's not me who's doing it. It's one of those moments where your strength is gone, and you just say, Lord, it's you, and I'm just the instrument. I'm the vessel. You just do what you want to do. I'm here. See, again, here's that thing. When you yield to his authority, and I'm not trying to promote myself. I'm not, I just want to show you this was one of those moments where God taught me about me. Matt, until you yield yourself to me and let me be in charge, this ain't going to work. And so, uh, listen, the Lord did a great work. And, and not because of Matt, but because he. So uh, it was a wonderful to see. There was a lady in the room that night, one lady who gave her life to the Lord, and it, was, it made it worth it. That's when the Lord said, you see, if you'll get out of the way and you let me do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save somebody's life. And so that was one of those miraculous moments where God stepped in and he did an incredible work even through me. And so the Bible says that even when evening had come, Jesus was still there, still ministering. When his flesh was weak, his spirit was strong because the Father enabled him to finish the work. And I wonder today, are you at that place where you're like Moses? Moses wanted to quit. He said, God, are you sure we shouldn't just go on back to Egypt? (laughs) 
And the Lord said, I'm just going to wipe them out. And Moses said, wait a minute, Lord, I didn't say wipe them out. You know, I mean, but Moses got tired, and he, he wanted to quit at points. Elijah wanted to quit. Remember what Elijah did? He got under the broom tree. He said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. Just end my life right now. I'm through with this. Lord, take me to heaven. I'm done. He wanted to quit. God said, don't quit. Get up and eat and drink. I got a journey for you. I want you to go on. He wouldn't let him quit. David wanted to quit. You read some of those Psalms David wrote where he's just weeping and he's in a cave hiding out from Saul. Lord, how long? How long, Lord, will my enemies triumph over me? He cries out to the Lord. And he pours out his heart, and the Lord won't let him go, and the Lord won't let him down. Listen, I know this. The Lord won't let you down. The Lord won't let you down when you let yourself be in his hands. And so until we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, you're the man. You're the man. And I want to serve you. And then we'll be ready to do His will and be on His mission. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for Your Word. We know it's true. And today we're grateful, Lord, that uh, Jesus set the example for us. Not only is He our Savior, but He's our example. And so help us, Lord, to live the way Christ did. Help us to listen to the Holy Spirit, to have a heart that's filled with compassion and a mind that's set on bringing others to know You and to love You. Help us, Lord, to have a desire and a drive and a will to be Your servants, to, to work in Your kingdom. Lord, help us be on mission. And Lord, there may be someone even in this place today who needs to be in a relationship with you, Lord. And they're ready to yield to your authority. Listen, if you're in this place today and you know in your heart, I need to yield my life to the Lord. I, I've been trying to live in my own way. And I've been selfish and I've been caught in sin and I need a Savior. And if that's you, would you right now be willing to pray a prayer to the Lord and ask Him to take control of your life? Would you pray a prayer like this? Would you say, Jesus... I know that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I'm tired of doing it on my own. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. Would you forgive my sin? And would you come into my life? Would you save me? Look, if you'll pray something like that to him, and you really mean that and believe that, he'll save you, he'll forgive you, he'll come into your life even right now and help you begin to follow him. And then would you pray something like this? Lord Jesus, give me courage to follow you each day of my life. Give me strength to follow you each day of my life. Look, today he wants to put you on mission in his kingdom. Let him be in control of your heart and your mind and your life. Father, right now as we can come to a time of invitation, help us to respond to your spirit. Help us to surrender to you and follow you. Thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together right now as we stand. Brother Caleb will lead us in singing. There may be someone that needs to come today and commit themselves to following Christ. Maybe you need to commit yourself to being on mission in His kingdom. Maybe today you feel the Lord's calling you to serve Him more and you want to do that. If you want to come and pray at the altar, you want Brother Jay and I to pray with you, or you want to come and give your life to the Lord, whatever the Lord's leading you to do, you respond now. As we sing, you come.